0: Marvelites welcome to this weekend Marvel episode number 335 I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M and I'm joined by not my normal co-host Tucker Marcus no 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 I've got two very special guests I am joined by CB Sawolski, editor-in-chief Yeah, and we are joined by Dan Slot, luckiest man alive <laughs> Dan wait why are you here
1: what's going on I obviously all my plots and scripts are into Marvel <laughs> You're not behind at all. I'm no. sure. Yeah. No, Actually, I just got in uh, my latest revision just this morning. Nice. Of an all new book. Ooh, what's that all new book, Dan? Please, can we can we say it? Say it. Can we say it? Say it. Fantastic Four. The first family. The for back after back, all this time. Uh, yes. Oh my god. It's. I had to club so many Marvel writers out
0: of the way to no, get this. No, you mean like book. go clubbing with them. Absolutely. Like, yeah. That is exactly what I meant. Right. 100%. Um this is exciting we The an- blood on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> we announced this uh, CB you were able to announce this yep. on, on marvel.com and our video uh, and the creative team you Dan writing. We've got Sarah Pakelli. Sarah. How great Sarah, is it's that? So good. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. How exciting is it for you to be writing as CB said, Marvel's first family.
1: Th- this is the dream, you know. Like uh, when I left Spidey, I told Marvel when I was leaving, and I I left without looking. I didn't have like the next assignment up. And every time I'd come into the office, people would go, "What do you want to do after Spidey?" And I'd go, "Fantastic Four." And we're not we're not doing Fantastic Four now. We're we have big plans. We're we want it to sit. We're not doing. There's no Fantastic Four book. Like, okay. And they're like, "What do you want to do?" And I'd be like, "Fantastic Four. <laughs> it was. It was just like that. Was all I kept asking about, and uh, and th- that shows you how to work at Marvel. Just being uh, annoying,
0: <laughs> being persistent, and excited. Because I think one of the things I, you know, I, as I, we talked about before we started recording, is that I was persistent to Mr. Tom Brevort, who is the wonderful editor, and I said, Tom. Would you please share with me some materials on Fantastic Four? Do we have stuff to show people? We we have one piece of art that people can see. Yeah. Uh, it is a beautiful piece by Sarah. Yeah, uh, just it's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Uh, but Tom shared me some of her designs and things. And so seeing the way the characters are going to look and... The way she does body language. And even in the character designs, the way she has them stand, just the presence that Thing has. Oh,
1: this is going to be great. This is going to be the best book ever.
0: (laughs) Body
2: types. I mean, the four different body types of those four characters. And Reed, who never has a stable body type, really, in any adventure that that the FF go on. I mean, the the things that she's going to have to draw and the ability she has to capture them is just, you know, uh, incredible.
0: So... I want to know, you know, your origins with the Fantastic Four. We'll we'll get to you because one of the things that I read in in your uh, your your note to Sarah was how you've been waiting to write this book since you were in grade school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I love that. But CB, what was your? Do you remember your first like major Fantastic Four story that you read?
2: It was during the the Lee and Kirby run, the mm-hmm. original run. I want to say it was sometime in, in the issues, like the mid '60s, somewhere. Sure, number right. wise, not that, that would I have was been uh, close uh, around the mid '60s yeah. as well. <laughs> you
0: know, like, yeah, yeah, five years in.
2: The first stories I, I really, really, truly remember were the ones that uh, John Byrne did. I was a huge X-Men guy. I grew up on X-Men, and that's how I, I just got into Marvel and into the entire universe. But then there was the the Byrne Fantastic Four run that was just I,
1: was was mind blowing to I me. I am yeah. such a freak that I came into X-Men through Burn. Like, I like Burn from Fantastic Four. I'll try X-Men because it's the the FF. So, Uh, yeah, I I still remember going into the Five and Dime where I would always
2: get my comics and there was that one cover where Doom was ripping through the cover and you could see the first page through and I was just like, that blew my mind. That was so brilliant. That (laughs)
1: issue is just, it's one of the greatest FF issues. They're not in it. It's a whole story just from Doom's point of view. And like, when you read that as a kid, you're like, it made you realize just how rich the character was, how much he he
0: could support his own book. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. His own universe, as yeah. he has in, in, yes. in other times. Mm-hmm. Um So what about you, Dan? What was your, uh, obviously, you're a hardcore? First
1: comics I ever read. First superhero comics I ever read. My cousin collected comics. When I was like seven, eight years old, we would go visit them all the time. And this was before they even made long boxes. He kept his comics in cardboard boxes. And... um he didn't like superhero books. He liked war comics and horror comics. But one of the war comics he followed was Sergeant Fear and his Howling Commandos. So he liked he liked Kirby. So the one superhero comic he followed was FF. And he looked at me and he's like, I don't think you're going to like these. I think you'll like this. And he lent me three comic books to read as my first superhero comics. And it was FF 48, 49, and 50. He started me on the Galactus trilogy. Jeez. I know. Nice. It's like boom, you couldn't go more hardcore into the FF.
0: And you couldn't have a greater introduction to the potential of comic books.
1: It was the way I met Reed and Sue and everybody. My Reed, because you always remember your first one, is unshaven, crazy Reed. Like, oh my God, we're all going to die. That was like the way I met Reed Richards. And that introduced you to galactus and silver surfer and that's how he met the watcher oh my ultimate nullifier ever it's all in there there, alicia it's just oh it was the best
0: the issues right before that too and then right after that like i it was
1: this man this monster it's like is the next issue very next issue one of the greatest single issue comic books of all All time time. And, Uh. and then
0: and then what we get Black Panther right after that. The, right before know, that is the Inhumans. Inhumans. Yep. It, it's,
1: it's, every, every issue of Lee and Kirby, you're meeting something new. You're going somewhere new. You're seeing something you've never seen before. This comic is the beginning of the Marvel age of comics. It is the first family of the Marvel Universe, and it kicks off, and right from there, the rest of the Marvel Universe follows. This is the foundation of everything you love about comics is in these characters in this corner of this part of the Marvel Universe. You know, by
2: you saying that, you
1: said, you know, there was something new every issue. It was action packed every issue. It was
2: mind blowing, you know, new stuff. That's the feeling I got when I read your plans, well, first you pitched it <laughs> to us verbally, but then when you got, finally got their in document, that's exactly how I felt. You have such respect for all that stuff and you took such inspiration from there and
1: made it your own for this modern era with those same tenets and those same philosophies in mind. But at the same time, the beauty of it is you're going to the most cosmic places, you're doing the biggest things, you're seeing things that no one's ever seen before in a comic and you're doing it with these characters that you know and you love and they're not just the people you know, It's family. That's the heart of it. Lee and Kirby go to family. So it's like you get the most fantastic adventures, but the most fantastic adventure is being part of the family. Boom. That's all the FF in the nut right there. Mm.
0: I do want to talk more, obviously, about Fantastic Four, but you guys are joining us. Oh, wait, before I do that, I do want to say my early... Fantastic Four memories are completely different from you guys. I actually – I can't remember which came first for me. There's an issue, a Christmas issue Mm. of Fantastic Four, which I think Tom DeFalco wrote and – Paul Ryan? Paul Paul Ryan Ryan drew, yeah. And on the cover is Doctor Doom and it's New York City and Christmas. And that was the only Fantastic Four issue I remember having, aside from Walt Simonson and Art Adams doing the new Fantastic Four.
1: You know who this guy is? Dan Slott. The assistant editor of those issues.
0: Well, (laughs) I want to thank you because that blew my mind. Um, (laughs) All right. We will get back to Fantastic Four, but as this is This Week in Marvel, we have a whole bunch of things, and I'm delighted that you guys could take the time. I know you guys are incredibly busy. Tom did give me a mouthful uh, when I said, (laughs) I would like to have Dan for about an hour or so, please, sir. And he was like, yes, it's fine, and he threw me out of his office.
1: He got the lead feature for ff uh, one in uh, with the revisions. We're all really happy. We're all really excited, but there is a backup story. Ooh. That that I owe that must be in by the end of the day, with a it taking place in a certain little country called Latvia. <gasps> <gasps> mm,
0: I like that TZT's TZT. So I, I even
1: dressed the part for Doom.
0: I ah. wore my
2: blue shirt for the FF, and I wore my green shirt for Doom.
0: I like it. I well, I have a Doctor Doom hoodie that has a zip-up mask nice. and a Aww. a gold like, like fake the, gold uh, chain that goes around with two with the D's. It's pretty much. It's so good. Uh, but for this week in Marvel, we're going to talk about, you know, just a bunch of other stuff. We have our picks of the week. Uh, so as has been requested on the show up front, our picks of the week uh, coming from Marvel's The Pull List are Champions Number One, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and CB's pick...
2: Daredevil 600.
0: Yeah. So we're going to talk about those a little bit more in depth. If you have not read them yet, pause, go buy your books, go read your books, Dig in, because we don't want anything spoiled for you. We have some news. We have uh, questions and comments, some fun stuff. Uh, just a big old episode. A couple other things off the top. Marvel Strike Force is out now. You guys can check out that game. You can play it. It's a lot of fun. So many things happening. This week is is kind it's of bonkers. It's a crazy week. Yeah. It's a really, really good week. But you know what? Let's dive right into the comics of the week. First book of the week is Champions number 18. It was written by Mr. Mark Wade, art by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Edgar Delgato, and VCs Clayton Cowles on the lettering. Uh, one of the things that Tucker brought up in Marvel's The Pull List is how Mark and Umberto have been doing this first page impact full page splash image. Uh, in the previous issue, I think it was the lamp, and it was just this static image of the lamp. And you were like, what, what's this lamp all about? But it had a very affecting feel to it where as you go into the issue you figure out oh that's what the lamp is the lamp is used as this weapon against between the vivs. and so then you get this first page which is vivian human viv she is covered in android blood you know android yeah exactly she's covered in android blood and she's reeling from what's going on to me, I think about this as you look at a comic by a couple of masters and a couple of masters who have been a team for a long time. Forever. Yeah, Forever. I remember getting into Mark and Umberto's work in Impulse. Impulse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was yep. now and I, I was thinking about it, was like ninety-six maybe, ninety-seven?
1: Umberto was twelve at the
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> He's ageless. Let's let's be honest. Mark was fifty. <laughs> uh, but every once in a while you you get these books by these teams and just reminded how well they gel and how good they are together Uh, and you have a lot of experience working with umberto
1: and it's come back full circle because we have umberto uh drawing around 20 pages of amazing 800 and he just turned in a new page today and it is awesome a lot of punching and hitting and Certain redheaded character in the mix, then, yeah. Ooh. You know, there have been a certain number of artists
2: who have really defined the look of Spider-Man over the the, the years and the decades, and Umberto's is, version most, is one of the most iconic. Yeah, you know?
1: mm-hmm. there's just like a life to it and an energy. All of Umberto's work, even if someone is standing still, they are bursting with energy, ready to go into the next panel.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point you bring up, because there are two panels near the beginning of the book that really stick out for me. Um, One of them is this one, showing you guys, uh, and it's down here. It's Viv, she's cowering in the sewer, she's scared, she's alone. It's a quiet panel, but the way he draws her face, her eyes, and it's very, you know, it's, it's a wide shot, but you get completely that sense of terror and regret. And it's it's so good. Two pages later, we get another great shot that is completely different and it's, you know, you've got uh Cyclops, kid Cyclops riding on Ms. Marvel, you know, and and one of those things that I love is, you know, you could do that panel in so many different ways, but he does it in a way where he actually has Kamala holding on to Scott's legs to keep him balanced. It's it's one of those things, it's like, it's so simple, and you might pass it by, but a, a smart artist yep. thinks about every which way that the characters are standing, the way they're they're acting, all those things. The way they're interacting, the way they yeah, oh, he's the best. Yeah. Um, as I was reading it, I completely forgot that this was the end of this team's yep. run on the book. Oh. And I thought, wait a minute, Champions is over? It was like. This roller coaster of emotions because I love this book and then I was like, oh no, the book's over. Wait a minute, Jim Zub and Sean Izaxi are yeah. coming on for yep. the next run. and yep. Sean is he's, he's been doing such really great developed work as an artist. Yeah, yeah.
2: just come along. He's really fallen into the Marvel characters. All the, all of the, the
1: no, no surrender stuff. Yep. Oh my god, I yep. look so good. You know,
2: there's a, there's a, a, a language to kind of superhero comics and super dynamic storytelling, and Sean has just become such a master at it. You know.
1: Zeb's been talking to me offline about champions and like the chains are going to come off and everything's going to go into champions. He is so much love is going to go into this book. I can't wait for people to see. I'm sad to see Wade and Umberto go. But people are going to freak out when when Zub comes on and all the stuff he's got planned. Yeah. And one of the things about this book, fun fact, since we are talking about the
2: Fantastic Four, one of the things that Umberto never really talked about is a lot of the Champions covers are homages to other covers, to, but not the popular covers, not like Fantastic right. Four number 1 or Days of Future Past or things like that. That is actually an homage to an old Fantastic Four cover from the, uh, oh, the original The run. bankrupt,
1: you know, the newspaper. Newspaper on, the, on yeah. the thing. So
2: he's taken a lot of the covers and not done homages, but use them as inspiration and change them a little so if you go back on the run and you can try to like match which covers umberto actually used for inspiration
0: that is awesome. Yep. It's like when I was in your office the last week and you showed me the the uh, Young Guns variants, yep. and there was a, there's a secret to yep. them that mm-hmm.
2: no one has found yet. What?
0: Yeah, yep. and I was and you showed it to me. You were like, "Can you figure it out?" And I didn't figure it out at first. And you were like, "I was like, oh, it's right there." Yep. Uh, nice little secrets. Yes, I don't know how you guys when you read your comics. If it's do you have TV on, a movie on, music on? For me, it's you know, I, I read a lot when I'm in the office or I read a lot when I'm home and I put on—I usually put on music. And I was reading this issue when I was listening to the soundtrack for the musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, oh. which is a tremendous show. I am so sad it's gone. And there's this really sad number called Sonia Alone that will just destroy you. And so I was reading this as like, you have a lot of sad moments in this and it was all coming together. It was just such a heartbreaker. And I love how the emotions that we get from reading comics or making comics can sort of flow into the ways where, you know, whatever situation we're in.
1: Yeah. I am in a bubble. I'm completely into the comic. And if things get too tense, I put it down. <laughs> you know, like, I, that's to me the hard part. It's like, if you're really putting the screws to a character, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll come back to this. That, that hurt. That was too much. I'm I'm the same way.
2: I have to have absolute silence when I go into – read comics. And when I go into a comic, I go into that world. And that's why a lot of people say, like, working at Marvel doesn't really suck because it spoils so much of the stories. It's these creative retreats. You know, everything that's coming, and I read the scripts in advance. But that doesn't matter because when I open that first page and I go into that comic, I'm in that world. Mm -hmm. The spills and the twists and the turns and the surprises and the cliffhangers, I'm like it's like I'm reading them for the first time. And I put the comic down, and then I come back into the real world. I go – wow, I actually knew all that, but they nailed it because it's, it's just it's just how the, it all
1: comes together in the comic is just original for the first time and it becomes spoiler free. Yeah. I, I can't. I remember like uh, my first retreat and it was the first time I got to be there as people were going around the table and walking through a year of their stories and Brubaker goes through all this Winter Soldier cap stuff and then I went I wanted to read that. I want, oh my God, no. You were an
0: editor though. You had worked, you've been an intern an editor. You've had so many stories spoiled for you at that point. Yeah, but it's
1: like, come (laughs) on, man. I I almost want to like, when I'm in the, but no, you got to know, because we got to keep the Marvel universe cohesive. The sacrifices we make for
0: you. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I quit. But, (laughs) But to your point, CB. It's because of the power of the stories that we can enjoy them. All right. Next book is Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 302. Yeah, give it up. It's a great book. Written by Chip Zdarsky. Pencils by Joe Canones, inks by Joe Rivera, colors by Jordan Gibson, and letters by Travis Lanham. This was one of my picks of the week, and I found it fortuitous that you're here because you are—you've been in the Spider-Man office for so long, so long. <laughs> uh, and what I found cool was that in what was it, amazing 797. There's a big moment. Uh, won't spoil too much of it, but there's a moment that Chip put in a character. Rev- understand something about Spider-Man. He, he knows Spider-Man's identity. And, and that we, plays we, a huge part in your
1: book. We played off of a big chip beat from uh, Spectacular. Because we're reading all the stuff. We're working all together. And the Marvel Universe makes sense. The Marvel Universe ties together. And I love everything Chip's doing in Spec. And I wanted to reflect that in Amazing.
0: Yeah. This book also told me, as a reminder, never mess around with time travel. Time travel. travel okay. Time travel. No, don't. Mm. If if you had the chance, though, if you were like, hey, I've got Dr. Doom's time platform. Where do you go? When do you go? 1961. I buy a Fantastic
1: Four number one <laughs> off the rack. Off the rack, man. Pristine. Smell that ink. Ooh. Perfect. Yeah. CB,
0: where do you go?
2: I don't know. That really? is a really interesting question. I've got all these different time periods in my mind now where I'd go. Like, do I go back to, like, my high school days and give myself, my old self, some advice? My life turned out pretty good, so I wouldn't want to screw with my own, you know, my own past. You know, who knows what the butterfly effect would be? You know, do I go back to a certain time in
1: history that I really enjoy? Has to have indoor plumbing. That is my time travel line in the sand. I will not go back before indoor plumbing.
0: (laughs) Or would I want to go
2: back? I don't know.
0: That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I think I just want to see some dinosaurs. I'm like, yeah. go and pop in. Be like, that guy's cool. That guy's cool. Oh, really? Feathers, neat. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I probably couldn't breathe there because the atmosphere was different. But whatever. That's science. I'll figure it science. out. Science. Yeah. If I'm time traveling, we'll yeah. figure out the uh, the breathing apparatus. How how does time travel work with the Parker Lock? Hmm. That's what we, we're we sort of getting to in this issue. Um, it's the domino effect, right? It's one little thing, and Peter's like, I'm going to go talk to my young self, and we're going to – it'll be great. And then it's just like, nope, 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 nope. Jonah is like, I'm going to go talk to my younger self, and we're going to you know, work together. And that is just kind of worse. <laughs> and all those things. And then poor Teresa. This is such a strong issue for her, too, because emotionally – We've been on this roller coaster with her. How is she connected to Spider-Man truly? Is she Peter's sister? Is she not? And we find out uh, some things in this issue, and you get this great moment with, you know, young, very handsome Nick Fury. Joe (laughs) Canonez draws a hell of a young Nick Fury in here, and you've got the two of them, and we get to these quiet moments. So you've got the action with Peter, you've got Green Goblin, you've got Jonah Jameson being all Jonah, and then you've got these quiet moments that... It's such a great contrast in this issue. One of the things I definitely love about this is how Joe draws the young Spider-Man, the Steve ditko Spider-Man. Just the poses, the way he moves, the way he swings, the way he looks, it feels
1: it's so perfect. Right. I love the way he does the goblin. Oh, it's just classic. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's beautiful.
0: All of it is is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, we've got... Scary Norman. It's like horror movie type of yep. menace and just brutality.
1: But it all feels wonderfully retro and cool. Everything about it, like going, you get to go back in time, and it is. You feel the waves of nostalgia when you read this. Play. It's a great issue.
0: Yeah, and I love the the little cameo from a young uh, Jessica Jones in here, which I you know at first I was like. It was, oh, they make it and they connect it. And I was like, that's so good because that's what we got in Alias, right? Yep. So nice. Alias, way back when, thread that, you know, her history into Peter's history, into the Marvel Universe history in such a perfect way. And this brought that back around. It's just... That's so good. It's one of the Who's beauties
2: of the universe and those those creative retreats and what the collaboration that the talent has between each other, you know, the respect for each other's books. That, you know, Jessica Jones is a newer character. We were able to weave her into history so well in her own book and in other places. And here, you know, Chip, again, with the tip of the hat to Jessica and her patch, just adding to the Marvel mythos.
0: Yeah. Something to be said about creative teams again you know we talked about it with mark and umberto but i think chip and joe and and the rest of the team it's more powerful when they're together they did a great run on howard now that we've got these issues here it's so important and so so special
1: you start becoming like a couple and how you interact and how you kind of not finish each other's sentences but the way you all like mesh working with umberto again on 800 is like oh my god it was like it was going but in a time machine or, or like working with Mike all right on Surfer. We got to do the whole run just together. And the way Stuart brings your scripts to life, my God. I mean, Stuart, it just, it's, it's just, it's like. Did, did he,
2: Stuart Eminent,
0: just to be clear, oh. we're talking about Stuart Eminent. Eminen. Did
1: you see the Jonah Page thing in 800? I did not. Did I have not th- seen it yet. Oh, my God. He nailed it. Oh, it's so. Oh, uh, it, <laughs> you're going to it's one of those like I will forever remember this page of Spider-Man.
0: Uh, all right. That's it for the my two books. But, uh, CB, you chose Daredevil number six. Daredevil
2: 600, an anniversary issue. Yeah, uh, I
0: mean, it's looking
2: at that number. It makes me feel old because I can't <laughs> believe I, I remember really some of the earlier issues of Daredevil that I read when I was young. But um, a character I've always loved that's really come into prominence. Two stories in this one. It's Charles Soule with Ron Garney and Matt Mila. Mm. And then it's also a backup by Chris Gage with uh, Mike Perkins and Andy Troy. Oh, and I, I don't know who the letter was. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, it's Clayton and Carlos. One of the writers on Daredevil season one. Yes, exactly. So it, it all came full circle. I love this issue uh, because an anniversary issue that you expect a lot of different things out of it. And the first story in this is kind of the, the wrap up of, of the Mayor Fisk run. And I love it because it brings Daredevil into the Marvel Universe, so you see him interact with Spidey and with Moon Knight and with Jessica Jones, and they have this big adventure, but then it really pulls back to a nice, quiet story between Daredevil and Mayor Fisk, Wilson Fisk, and there is a brutal, brutal fight in this between Daredevil and Fisk that Ron Garney, again, one of the best artists working, longtime Marvel guy, he does things and knows how to move characters just Better than almost anybody. And the way he choreographed the fight scene was absolutely incredible. And it's just this brutal moment, but there's a poetry to it. And it's a quiet moment between these two guys who've been mortal enemies. And the outcome is really, really surprising, you know? Yeah. And then this issue has that story has not one, but two cliffhangers. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, why does this have to end? It's an anniversary issue. It should all wrap up here. But it just leads into something that the next arc that Charles sets up is just so. I know, I know. Uh,
0: That relationship between Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock is so important. And even in this situation, Wilson doesn't know Daredevil's identity. The two sort of reminded me of each other in the way that Wilson and Matt have their ideologies about New York City, about the way they they see the city that they both genuinely love, love yep. but it's very different ways of approaching uh, the city and, mm-hmm. and uh, the ways they want to see the world. Yep. It's, yep. it's fantastic, and that backup story.
2: Oh yeah, and it just, it's just—it's just you know a trip down memory lane for Daredevil fans like myself. Kind of a refresher for people who have not been around to hit some of the big beats in the not just Daredevil's life, but the relationship that Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock have. It starts in their college days, and it's—it's it's a quick story. It's amazing what they were able to capture in eight pages. How Chris wrote it really, really compressed and how Mike was able to pull these big beats out visually and just illustrate them to, to for maximum impact about the different quiet moments in their lives and the different adventures that they've had uh, as a team with Matt in costume and with Matt out of costume through their history.
0: Yeah, so that wraps up our picks of the week. For if you want to hear more about all the comics that came out this week, you can check out Marvel's The Pull List. That is our, our dive into all the issues, single issues, collections, digital, print. We run the gamut. Dan, all I, of it. Boom. Yes. Yeah. But now I, I do want to say uh, we wanted to have Sarah Pichelli here, but she's working hard. Also, yeah. she's in Italy. Yes. I, I tried really hard to get the three of us to fly over there to record with her in person. It just Damn didn't it. work out. Damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sure
1: Prefort would have loved
0: that. Yeah, he would have been <laughs> like, oh, yeah, great. You gonna be out no. of pocket for, <laughs> for a couple of days. Uh, so I did get to speak to Sarah. So let's check out my chat with her right now. Sarah, how excited are you that the Fantastic Four is returning to Marvel Comics and that you help bring them to life?
3: Wow. I'm pretty excited, of course. Uh, When Marvel offered me to work on the Fantastic Four, I was freaking excited. First, because the Fantastic Four are finally coming back. and It was about time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and second because I was taking care of the relaunch. And, you know, like it happened with Miles Morales, I think it will be a good chance to express my artistic take on another icon of comics. And right now it's the first family of the Marvel Universe. So keep your fingers crossed for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I've seen your designs.
0: I've seen your work. I. My fingers are crossed, of course, but you need no luck from, from me. You are crushing it.
3: Uh, so nice. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Uh, so you've drawn like talking trees and Spider-Man and mutants with pixie wings, so much more. But as you, you said, the Fantastic Four is will and truly they're a family. Do you approach their design, the body language or, or anything differently than you would say a solo series or a different kind of team book?
3: As you may know, I come from the animation industry, and there I worked as character designer or, and animator for a while. And that is what I still am in my mind when it comes to approach a character uh, about costumes or expression. So I, I try to imagine the character's personality and how it best delivers his attitude through his clothes body language, and and so. And that is the same process for any kind of book I, I work on. I worked in this way on Miles' book. Uh, so this time is going to be a family in, in different universes, so we'll see. I think it's going to be um, so much fun, but the, at the same time a big challenge, uh, especially because team books like Guardians of the Galaxy and now Fantastic Four require a different approach than a solo book. They are more complex because there are ma- many elements you have to pay attention to, especially to keep the book consistent when you draw the characters interacting, you know? So it's it's a challenge.
0: It's a good challenge and I think one you're yeah. you're certainly up for. And you know, of course, you're working on this title with Dan Slott, who he writes Marvel style, and it's a good challenge. But uh, how are you feeling about starting this
3: partnership with Dan? You know, I think, you know, I worked so long with Brian Bendis that the idea of working with a new writer, especially with Dan, excites and scares me at the same time. But I actually cannot wait to work on his Marvel style scripts because I love the idea that I could explore the storytelling and play with the panels even more. So we'll see.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited. I can't wait to see uh, what you bring to the page. Your designs look lovely and striking and so cool. So thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, again for that. Uh, She's working hard. Again, her designs, just so good. But, you know, Earlier, I talked about the new Fantastic Four is how that was something that really was important to me. Uh, I do want to dig into you as an assistant editor. But before that, alternate Fantastic Four teams. I know we we're, were the book is about the first family. So that's great. And yes. we, we know that. But I want to know as a fan, as someone who's been reading, do you have a favorite alternate squad for the FF?
1: Oh, um, I'd have to say the Hickman Future Foundation with Spidey taking mm-hmm. Torch's place. He did so much fun with that. Uh there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Nice. I, well, it's the Hickman run. It's legendary.
2: It,
0: it's it's a tremendous run. Yeah. CB? It's not a,
2: the, the complete changeup of the team, but I loved when She-Hulk was a member of the Fantastic uh, Four. Just how she, she fit in personality-wise, power-wise, how they interacted with her and the adventures they had with her on the team. So I thought, you know, when Jennifer was there, it was a great run.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask for you to tell us something about your run, but I'm not gonna do it because you can't tell us. You're gonna. I, I can tell
1: you nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but when when were you exactly? When were you an assistant editor on Fantastic Four?
1: In in the '90s, like '92, '93, I was there for um, the new Fantastic Four and Walt Simonson's run, and when uh, Ben became the Thing again. It was, a, it was a short window, but it was a great window, and during that time. I wrote the cover copy that Comics International called the worst cover copy of all time.
0: <laughs> what was the cover copy? I have to know this. Uh, I haven't heard this story. FF
1: 350. We had a problem where Ben had been wearing... He he had turned back into Ben Grimm, but he was wearing the Thing suit. And then in 350, he was getting zapped again by Cosmic Rays, and he turns into the Thing, bursting out of the Thing suit. And it was all him having a one-on-one fight with Dr. Doom and all the FF trapped in bubbles like, no. <laughs> and Ralph insisted, and he didn't come in that day, but he insisted I did the, the cover copy, that I let everyone know that that wasn't Ben in a thing suit, that somehow doing cover copy that let people know that you're actually getting the correct thing and not Ben in a thing suit. So I wrote a word balloon that he says on FF350, gorgeous issue, terrible cover copy. He goes, ain't nothing like the real thing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, Terrible. Oh, Dan. It was awful. I did that. I ruined your comic.
0: So is that your first Fantastic Four
1: dialogue? No, no, because, uh, and this is kind of the ethos of like the first, you know, 12 issues of my FF run. Any writer, when you get to work for Marvel, there's that fear like, this might be my only story. This might be my only chance to get my grubby mitts onto the Marvel universe and and every childhood dream. And ah, and I got to do my first superhero story was a New Warriors uh, annual backup with Speedball, mm. and. Even so, it's an eight-page story. I had Speedball run through the entire Marvel Universe and meet everyone just so I could, like, dialogue everyone, like, one line. So, Sue Sue Storm shows up in there and makes a force field to stop Robbie Baldwin from falling down a manhole. And she says something nice. (laughs) And, And I'm just like, okay. Okay, that's good. I can get hit by a bus now. <laughs>
0: Please don't get hit <laughs> by a bus, then or now. Oh, thank I, you. Yeah, I would, I would not like that for that to happen. So were you, you were only on FF for a short period of time?
1: As as assistant editor,
0: yes. How long was your assistant run?
1: It was uh, for as long as uh, then assistant editor Mike Heisler's sabbatical. So it was like a three or four month run where I got to be on Captain America, uh, Fantastic Four, Thor, uh, daredevil and, and during some really cool parts like i got to assistant edit captain america's 50th anniversary i got to you know be there for the new fantastic four i got to write terrible cover copy on some daredevil comics and it, it was a lot of fun
0: so you've both been in the editor side of the actual editing the books you've Ralph also
2: Macchio was my first Boss, too. Well, oh my really, God, I am so sorry.
0: We're not one for those of you who are listening. Don't realize that we're not talking about Ralph Macchio, the, the actor. We're talking kid. about no. Ralph Macchio, the, the longtime the Marvel myth. comics,
1: yep. the legend
0: writer and editor. Uh, but we're not throwing him under the bus. He's beloved. No, dude. no, no. no. I, no would not, I
2: would not be in the position that I am today if not for Ralph. I learned more about how to deal with talent, about art direction, about how to just deal with people in general, and the the the, the power that comics have. Uh, From Ralph that, you know, gives me nothing but appreciation for him now. And I I owe a lot of that to Ralph. Mm
0: -hmm. Just thinking about how, you know, being an assistant editor, how that informs, you know, the way you approach writing a comic. You both have done that because I would imagine you get a ton of appreciation for all the other parts of of the machine.
1: Oh, God. Seeing like every single step. It's completely different than being on the creative side. When you're an editor, deadlines mean something. Yeah, <laughs> Com- they mean something. Completely- I should not be laughing at that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but they mean something completely different than when you're on the writing art side. Sure. Yeah. You know, sometimes in certain industries, you know, you get
2: a peek behind the industry, and they say, "Oh, once you see how the sausage is just made, you're not as appreciative of the final product." You know. But I think comics is the exact opposite. I have a greater under- appreciation of every issue that comes out, knowing. The processes that not just the talent but that the editorial team and the production team and the lettering team and the printing team went through to put out this product it's we take for granted that these are on the shelf every week on Wednesday, but
1: the amount of man hours that go into this is just astounding and when you have someone like uh, Giuseppe Camicoli who hits a deadline, hits a deadline, hits a deadline, and then you see a thing of him where his back is completely shot, his wrist is in pain, but he hit that deadline. Or you see a thing where Steve Wacker or Nick Lowe or somebody is in the office on a Friday at 8 at night. You know, and the next day they're a zombie. You you see, like, Justin doing coloring. All these different people, like, the amount of hours and time and passion in every single step it's it's hard sometimes to look at a book you work on and not go, this is how many man hours went into this book. This is how much love went into this book. Uh, no one does comics. No one fell into it. There's not a single person who just magically went, oh, what do you know? I'm in comics. Everyone had this passion and drive to get through that door to get that spot to get that position to work on these characters they dearly love about in this universe that they they care more about almost than the world outside the window yeah. and this is their chance to do that ah, it's the best job in the world
0: yeah. yeah i'm curious though how you as a writer go from writing You know, a book like Iron Man, and I'm thinking about from the retreat and the way you you broke down where your story is and so the interesting stuff that's going on there and how you go back and forth between Fantastic Four and Iron Man.
1: Well, the difference now is when I was working on Spidey for a long time, it was just Spidey and I was in a, a spider bubble. And I'd be thinking about the Spider-Man universe and all the different characters and how they could possibly spin out into books for other creators and looking at this giant literal web. And on some level, we were, because of how fast we got the book out and how often we got the book out and how far ahead we had to plan, a lot of times we were off in a bubble. And Marvel events would be shooshing forward, and we'd be in our little spider event off to the side. We'd have a Spider Island or a Spider Verse while Marvel was fear itselfing, or, you know, <laughs> it was often because we just had to because of the way the schedule works. Um, so, in a weird way, I was kind of aside from the Marvel universe. And with Silver Surfer, me and Mike went off into our own corner and did our own thing and created our own characters, and we were off. And now, I've got the characters that are the cornerstone of the Marvel universe, and this is my chance to mess up the Marvel universe, to go in and break all the toys, destroy everything, just like, oh, my God, the the cosmos is mine. It's great. It's going to be fun. CB, I think, we've yeah. made
0: a, I think we've made a big mistake. I know, yeah. I, know I know.
1: I'm, 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 I'm going to go talk to Brevard. Right
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it, it, nice. One of the things I just realized in connecting the two books, Dan, you're going to have to learn to speak Italian <laughs> because there's a connection because Sada mm-hmm. was Valerio's mentor. Mm-mm she really uh, helped bring him to the level that he's at when he was a young artist coming up. And he gives her a lot of credit for that. They both live in Rome. You're, you're working with both of them. I mean, what a what uh, duo to be to, to, be have illustrate both your, your books.
1: It's almost like Marvel had somebody scouring the earth, finding comic creators that were awesome in every country. <laughs> it's almost like someone went out there and found these geniuses and brought them into the Marvel universe. That guy,
0: hmm. whatever happened to him? Yeah. I feel he, like he's got a future. Yeah. he's, yeah. he's pretty good. Yeah. I I do need to step back and think about all the artists that have come into Marvel, you know, over your time as being on the talent team yeah. and making that something really special and making that outreach to different countries, different places, making us very global. So,
2: you know, all I say is, that, you know, I just with the talent management team, we open the door and it's the artists who have to step through it and really, you know prove that they can have the style and the storytelling ability, but also the dedication to work on it. You know, And that's something that, that a lot of people forget is that this is a job. You know, we talk about how much we love it, and we do, you know, but there's there's a lot that goes into making this book, as we discussed, and some people just aren't cut out for that. So, the, you know, the guys and gals you see working here at Marvel are not just the best artists on the planet, they're the most dedicated artists on the planet because they have to give up a lot of their personal lives and sit there at the board and keep drawing and coloring and writing to to make what we do, and it's just, you know, we went through that Italian invasion uh, you know, five or six years ago with so many, almost a decade now, where so many different artists were coming out of Italy because the guys who had made it were passing down not just their technical skills and their artistic uh, abilities to the younger generation. They were teaching them about what it takes to be a comic book
1: artist and how they're going to have to go through that grind and teach them how to balance work and pleasure. You know? all, all I can say is, like, with all the wonderful people I've gotten to work with, with Stefano, with Giuseppe, you know, now with Sarah uh, working with you know Marcos Martín, who's off in Spain, working with Umberto and Victor and Edgar and all my my Spidey guys in Mexico. Thank God for Skype. <laughs> 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 oh my, I can't imagine my world without Skype.
0: <laughs> so one of the things that I've heard a little bit about, you've done some interviews already. Uh, the lunch, the lunch where you <laughs> talked about. I don't want to dig in too much. How do you pitch a book like this? What was that like? What was that, that conversation
2: like? The thing that really came through that sticks to me from that launch was the way that you were able to capture the emotions of the family and the relationships of the different members. Uh, uh, we, so, we are, so beautifully. I mean, we, the, we are
1: the, so treading on spoiler. I, I know, but
2: you know, I, all the great action and the scenes and everything you have planned aside, you know, when you boil it down to it, you nailed that core we talked about earlier. It's the heart of the Marvel Universe. And I, I still remember one time Nick Lowe was sitting across from me. And he took off his glasses and he went, he uh, one of those <laughs> and I swear he shed a tear. <laughs> There's,
1: I love these guys. I grew up with these guys. They're like a surrogate family. And if you've read my Spider Man, I love torturing Peter Parker. <laughs> I love putting him through the grinder and emotionally doing the worst things I can to that character. Cause you go, no. It's like, you know, Charles and other people writing Daredevil. You gotta hurt them or it doesn't feel like Matt. You've got to put Peter through the Parker luck, or it doesn't feel like Peter Parker. You've got to make the FF about family. The the family stakes and the family. Things And they have to be true to themselves and they have to be this family we care about. But if, I, if we can hit the right family beats and then, you know, Kirby Crackle is bursting everywhere, we've done our job right.
0: I love it. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, let's not dive too much more into story story stuff because then you're gonna explode and, and reveal everything, and I can't have that here. Uh, <laughs> someone will someone will hurt me. But one of the fun things uh, before as we wrap up our talk about Fantastic Four, are you writing this Marvel style? You write everything Marvel style, don't you?
1: Yeah, um, it's like a tight. It's it's a tighter version of Marvel style where I describe you know panel by panel, but I leave things a little flexible. In FF1, there's an alien that shows up. And my note to Sarah, I can't wait to see it, is this could be a dinosaur woman or a talking panda or anything but not a cat person. <laughs> it's like my – knock yourself out. Go crazy. So I can't wait to see, like, what that alien is going to look like.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, me too. Yeah. Um, so
1: that there's, there's places where I want the artist to have fun and be creative and have an outlet. And because I know every now and then I'm going to go, and then the giant crowd shot, and I want them to love me and want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I want them to have places where there there's places to be fun and to stretch, and uh, for us to share and be collaborative in this big soup.
0: Yeah, and CB, I, I imagine that that's a really important thing for an artist. For yeah. you know, finding that collaborative spirit is is so important for making everybody. Work together and produce the best thing. So, I, in your experience, do you think Marvel style is, does it work for everybody? Does it maybe only work for some?
2: No, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and each artist and uh, writer team has to find their groove, you know, and they try out different things to find out what system works best. And there's some artists who go in and say specifically, like, please lay out everything for me beat by beat, including the word balloons because I want to be able to put the balloons into the layouts when i designing the book. And there's other people who are just like, I don't care if you just give me a page and tell me that the story has to be, you know, a one-page paragraph, the beginning, middle, and end, and tell me how many pages I got and you will get the full story with everything moving through it and you can dialogue it after. And uh, that second system doesn't happen as much anymore because we do tend to work more, a little bit more script style. But... Every
1: team finds their groove in between that, I think. I, I was working with John Jr. And I John had this, Jr. John Armita Jr. And I had this elaborate choreographed fight scene with Spider-Man. But at the end of the day, all that needed to happen was Spider-Man needed to go from point A to point B and be in this shape and be ready to take on that bad guy. That's what needed to happen in that sequence. And John Jr. contacted me and went, does he have to do all this punching and kicking? I've, I've drawn Spider-Man for years. I've drawn a lot of Spider-Man pun- Can I come up with different stuff? And I'm like, you're trying to meet a genie. Do what you want. <laughs> Get the character by this scene, and I'm happy. And he drew this awesome thing of Spider-Man webbing all these different things and turning them into bolos and knocking all these guys out. It looked amazing. And I started, like, being more looser on my fights, going, oh, well, this is what artists like. And when I got to Stewart, I- I'm like, "And there's some punching and kicking, but Spider-Man ends up over here, but he's hurting this way, and, yeah. And so it's like, you need to map this out for me. I want to know what's yeah. going I'm like, okay, because everyone's got a different vibe.
2: I remember right. I was reading a script one time and I get to page 16 and it says like page 16 to 19. Wolverine goes nuts. And page, <laughs> to page 20, splash page ending. And I was just like, okay, you know, and, and part of me, you know, says, wow, the, the writers just being lazy and sometimes writers think they're going to be lazy if they don't write a lot. But the artist said, no, no, I specifically asked for that because I, I had it. these ideas about we're building up to this arc. I have these ideas about how Wolverine should act and what this battle is
1: going to play out. So I literally asked him just to leave those four pages for me to, to have fun with. So you, you never know what, what the thing's going to be. Um, the thing that you're going to throw someone, they go, oh, I, I really don't want to draw that. And you go, well, that, that's not important to me. We can take that out of the yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really important, I had a, a scene in a, a comic where two characters are having a debate. And in my mind, it was this very dry one-upmanship. right? <laughs> but what about that? Oh, what about that? And it went to an artist and from another country, and they had a translator walk them through it. And when the art came back, it was like, wwf what about her? Ah, her. and with veins <laughs> popping off next and i was like i wrote this like noel coward kind of thing and, and now it's like and you but that's the fun of marvel style is you see it? i'm changing all my dialogue i'm rolling with it this yeah. is it's very much like being in an improv group now we're on a plane okay we're on a plane yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. right you don't on. be the guy who goes no we're in a boat no you don't be that guy <laughs> Yeah, and that's the fun. It's a collaborative medium. You, if you want it to be exactly the way you want, well, then be Alan Davis and write and draw it. <laughs> you know, be your own artist. And that's very rare, yes. you know.
0: Right on. Very rare, such as a book like this. Big time, very exciting. Stay tuned. There's going to be tons more information on Marvel.com, Marvel social pages, hopefully more on This Week in Marvel yeah. about Fantastic Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Dan Slott, Sarah Pichelli. August 2018 it's coming it's very very exciting it's good it's
1: huge yes it's the first issue how many pages is the first issue 900
0: yes (laughs)
1: 40 right done Done. I did
0: that that's my contribution uh all right (laughs) from from talking about fantastic Four, you guys stick around uh we're gonna go through some news and some questions and comments uh news beats on the comics front we've got infinity wars coming this July you we said infinity countdown what the heck is it counting down to this is it yeah. Infinity Wars Prime, number one, comes out in July, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr., mm-hmm. who I think at this point, uh, Jerry has said this to me, whenever I've talked to Jerry, he's like, Diodato. Mm-hmm. And it, like, Dio has gotten sort of like, you can remove the Mike and the Jr., he is just Dio. Uh, and, and colorist Frank Martin. We're going to have more information about the book at C2E2, but this week we released a page of art, yep. which looks cool. Got that new design for Adam Warlock yeah. up Ooh. at the top. It looks so good. So, yeah. good. so we also announced uh, this week the Death of Inhumans series coming.
2: Yep. CB, what's that creative team? Uh, couldn't be more excited to announce this one, too. Uh, on the Death of Inhumans, we're going to have writer Donny Cates, joined by artist Ariel Olivetti, and Kari Andrews will be providing the covers.
0: Yeah, Ooh. Ariel, just incredible artist. I remember there's some er, like early 90s books that just twisted my brain. It was the last Avengers story. Peter David wrote it and uh, Ariel drew it, and it was just like the death of all the Avengers. It's a horrifying story, I and I that, yeah. love it.
1: I, I remember Donnie walking people through this at the retreat, and I can't think of a single thing at the retreat that got more people angry and yelling. So... Yeah. <laughs> and this, like, it turned us into fans. Everyone in the room
0: yeah
1: what yeah you you're gonna, yeah. yeah. gonna, gonna want to read this yeah <laughs>
0: more information about that coming at c2e2 uh we'll have lots more uh just about a whole bunch of things at, at our c2e2 panels on the games front this week marvel strike force release you can download it now on the app store or google play uh we recorded i recorded a segment for earth's mightiest show about the game showing off my team and and how i've been playing uh it's this five-on-five five game, which you should not play because you'll get oh, sucked God, in the, the rabbit time. hole. I yeah. know you right now. Like you can't, you can't. Uh, but it's it's really addictive. It's super easy to pick up and play. Lots of characters. I think my squad right now is like Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage, Rocket Raccoon, and Thanos. No, no Thanos in the game. The villain is Ultimus. Ooh. Ultimus, yeah, yeah, Ultimus, who I didn't know anything about until we started putting this this game together. So it's great. It's it,
2: very cool reimagining and redesign on Ultimus for the game universe. Yeah,
0: Games Team is doing really cool stuff on that. Uh, we have a live stream showing off the game and some really fun stuff. You can check out that as well as Earth's Mightiest Show on the Marvel YouTube channel or our social media channels. On the TV animation front, last week we had WonderCon. We have a new story up on Marvel.com about season five of the Avengers animated series, which is called Marvel's Avengers Black Panther's Quest. And uh, that's going to have some design changes that simplify the style, conceptualize sort of a, a brand new look. The style reflects T'Challa's like, sleeker, cool fighting style and, and really gives a new tone for the production design of the show. Uh, James Mathis continues to voice T'Challa and their big reveal at the show was that T'Challa's sister Shuri will be voiced by Daisy Lightfoot and you'll see you'll hear Daisy's voice as Shuri and some other stuff too. There's a whole new story about uh, our big Marvel uh, animation panel as well as our Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel. You can check out those recaps on Marvel.com. That that was fun. I wish I could go to WonderCon. It sounded like a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I haven't been back to WonderCon in years, but to get
0: that in the future. For sure. Dan, you don't get to go to many cons. No, as- I'm behind on all my work. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, CB, you have to jump right now. You got sorry. meetings. That's what happens when you're the editor in chief. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're doing this at Marvel. Yes. <laughs> awesome, CB. Thank you for joining us, and uh, I'm I'm thankful for let you letting us be a part of the big Fantastic Four reveal this week. It's been no, a lot of fun.
2: thanks for having me on the show. And Dan,
0: get back to work. I will get back to work. <laughs> no,
2: no, he's got to stay with me. All right, <laughs> ah. <laughs> See ya.
1: All right. See ya. <laughs>
0: All right. So uh, one last thing in the news category. We are at C2E2 next week. I'll have more information about that, but uh, we've got panels aplenty. I'm hosting a panel. Lorraine Sink will be on with me uh, as well as some folks from Wolverine the Long Night. Uh, It's going to be great. Stay tuned. Lots more to come from Marvel's presence at C2E2. Now it is time for our community segment. And Dan, I'm so thankful that you are sticking around for yes. us to answer some questions and the comments from the Marvel fans. We've got a plenty in here. Now, one of them came in as an email. We have an email, twimpodcast at marvel.com, or fans can tweet us using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Hashtag This Week in Marvel? Yes. Hashtag This Week in Marvel. Perfect. Uh, and On the email front, we have one of our faithful listeners, Carver, who has his great uh, YouTube channel. I have
1: heard about Carver's YouTube channel. Yeah,
0: uh, Carver, he's awesome. And he says, hey, guys, I was reading the uh, great issue of Wolverine and the X-Men, and I was wondering, who should I thank for drawing all these great pictures, the inker or the penciler? The penciler for the issue was Nick Bradshaw, and the inker was Walden Wong. Whoever drew this comic is now my favorite penciler or inker ever. Well- you should also check out Spider Man Eight Hundred, which will
1: have some few, a few pages in it by Nick.
0: <laughs> uh, so that's a it's a great question, Carver. Uh, so it's it's both of them really, it's, Actually, and there's the, so many people who are involved. The
1: the person you need to thank, Carver, is the writer. Without the writer, there would be nothing to draw. <laughs> These people would be jobless. There would be nothing. It would be a blank page. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, uh, they. Both work really hard.
0: <laughs> uh, so the the penciler on an issue, in this case <laughs> Nick Bradshaw, he lays down uh, sort of the framework for everything, and and you know it depends on the penciler and the inker and their relationship. Sometimes someone pencils tighter, someone pencils looser, and the inker comes in and, and it gives structure, embellishes, yes,
1: they they add tone and and feeling and texture to the world. Yeah, it's almost like the penciler bakes the cake. Into this lovely shape, and the inker puts on the lovely layer of frosting and decorative icing, and, and now I want
0: cake.: Yeah, And then the colorist comes in and puts on the candles. And then the editor comes in and blows them out. <laughs>
1: yes. And you, the reader, eat the lovely, lovely cake.:
0: that's a, yeah, that's a good way to describe yes. it. Uh, so yeah, if or in terms of plumbing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so Carver, if you ever want to thank uh, anyone, thank them all, Thank everyone who's listed in the create, in the credits because they really all work together. Nick Bradshaw is sort of the penciler and and lays out a lot of the structure. Walden comes in and he adds so much to it. And it's interesting because you can have a different inker or a different colorist, and the page can look completely, completely
1: different. Completely different. Yes. Uh,
0: Some tweets that came in. Dylan Harper says, Twim might be my favorite podcast. Please have more Ron on the pod. Thank you, Dylan. I will not rest until it is 100% your favorite podcast. Uh, And hopefully we'll have Ron Richards back on the show at another point. Yeah. They liked Ron on Twim. Yes. Ron on Twim. Ron on Twim uh lindsey root who's been awesome she's been we've been tweeting together she tweeted me a picture from renew your vows number 17 she has found the butt of the week oh uh, oh which was a very good spider butt Uh, you look spider bit peter parker spider butt he's got a great butt he he works hard for it he's swinging around it's great spider
1: spider butt is hyphenated yeah
0: (laughs) spider butt uh she posted the picture and she says after fanny ran i thought butt of the week i thought butt of the week was a new weekly topic and it should be uh, and i looped in nathan stockman who drew the issue uh, and he was he's like yeah spider i draw a good spider-man butt. it's true spectacular spider-butt that should be a new comic yes and one of the things that I do on the on the podcast is every other week I come up with an odd food phrase okay and have the the fans tweet it at me and maybe I give them something it could be digital comics codes that I have in my collection and, and share something with
1: an them odd yes. so, an odd food phrase yes an odd food phrase
0: on twim <laughs> so the, the food f- <laughs> the food phrase from food last phrase. week phrase yeah. food phrase from last week was plump sardines Plump sardines. and I will tell you something. And Brandon, I'm looking at you too. Yeah. If you look at Twitter search for plump sardines, far more things show up than you ever expected. <laughs> so many people use the phrase, the words plump and sardines in the same tweet, okay. and, and I was not anticipating I, that whatsoever. What? Does- this is my brain, Dan. That's what it's happens. The Marvel universe. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, Brian Stranko says uh, he's been chipping away at the backlog of this week in Marvel, and he's in okay. September 2014. Uh, so he's, he's working hard to catch up, which I think is cool. You Wait, know, I'm like,
1: waiting for the new food phrase. Uh,
0: w- no, that's next week. Uh, oh. You'll have to listen. You'll have to listen. Oh, I wanted to hear what was going to top plump sardines. <laughs> it's a challenge. If you have a suggestion, let me know. I will use it, and I will credit you as our food phraseologist. Crinkly
1: Quackenbush.
0: Ooh. Quackenbush. Ooh.
1: Have you ever eaten Quackenbush?
0: No, I just know a wrestler who's named Mike Quackenbush.
1: It's these pastries that are all like lined up together and held by sticky stuff in a kind of pyramid of dough. Well then.
0: Quackenbush. Now we got that one for next week. We'll use that one. Uh, Last week, our question of the week was... Which of the Disney theme parks are you most excited to go to that now will have superhero themed lands in them? You have Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, uh, you know, all these things that we were talking about. Uh, But Joshua Cooper jumped in. He says, as a proud resident of Fort Collins, Colorado, inspiration for Main Street USA, Mm. it would feel treasonous not to pick the Disneyland Avengers attraction as my most anticipated Mm. I mean it's cool there's Spider-Man stuff there's uh, you know Avengers I, I, Iron Man I
1: can't I can't talk about stuff because I have talked to people
0: Ooh. secret people teasing teasing yeah. so I
1: cannot I cannot I have to take the fifth it's going to be really good yeah it's going to be awesome
0: at I'm Amanda Julius says thanks Agent M H&M, for having Ron XO on this week of Marvel loved hearing about the expansions coming to the Disney parks also plump sardines Simon Williams says his twim of the week for March 21st, Mighty Thor 705. I don't want to see Jane's time as Thor end, but she went out the most heroic way. Also, panel of the week, finally getting to see Thor without her helmet. Kudos to Russell Dodderman and team.
1: That was that was every box of Kleenex in the nine realms. That was, oh, that was a hard one.
0: Agreed. Stephanie Montoya says, New listener here, new to the comic book world. Can't wait to get into everything. Also, plump sardines. Uh, one of the things that I, I always find is great about our show or the comics that you're writing is every one of those can be someone's first entrance into the Marvel world as a whole, the Marvel universe. Whether it's, you know, someone's gonna pick up Fantastic Four number one, that's gonna be the first comic they ever read.
1: There's so many different flavors. There's so many different worlds. It's a it's a world that has everything from Squirrel Girl to the Punisher. You know, y- you will find your book. You will find the thing that makes you happy.
0: This, we're going to go with our last tweet of the week. It come from Order of Thanos, and it sort of ties into what you were saying. It's... He, Scott says, I only had one issue this week, but thanks to this week in Marvel podcast, I decided to pick up last week's cable. Haven't read it yet, but man, does that cover look awesome. And it feels really special that I, what we talk about on the shows can, you know, have Open someone a door. Yeah. It'd be yeah. like, oh, you know what? I never thought about picking up cable, or I never po- thought about picking up, you know, it could be Champions or Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man, but. We are passionate about these things. Well, I talk to you, you're so passionate. Oh, Love the, what we do, the brand, the characters, the world, the stories, the comics, everything. Uh, and hopefully our, our infectious excitement can, can work on you guys.
1: Goes through the screen.
0: Or the, the <laughs> microphone. Mostly, you know, they're listening to what we're saying. Oh, we're in a podcast. <laughs> uh, and I think that- the call's
1: coming from inside the
0: house. <laughs> That's,
1: uh, they can uh, hear, I'm in their ear. Hi, Marvelite! You're special.
0: This is some like <laughs> ASMR stuff right here, and people are going to get weirded out. I love it. Uh, we're we're wrapping up the show. We always have a question of the week. We got to make it Fantastic Four related. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to go with something so simple as your favorite Fantastic Four story. I don't know, Dan. What do you think? A uh, good question of the week oh, that revolves around Fantastic on the
1: Fantastic Four.
0: Hmm. If you got to join the
1: FF, if you got bombarded by cosmic rays, what would you like your power to be? And how would it work well with your four teammates? What if you were the fantastic fifth member?
0: Ooh. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to throw that right back at you. What would be your power? What, what would it be? Ooh. Well, <laughs> the FF,
1: when you think about it, are based on elements. Earth, wind, fire, water, they all kind of go that way. So I would have to be, I'm thinking something either with plasma or the void. Something that like a basic elemental force would somehow like link in. Like the the fifth element is cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that. Cheese powers. Yeah,
0: I I would love to have sort of uh almost like forges power to the the ability to build anything Mm. and to use that power to help the ff because reed's con like his brain is moving so fast he can only do so much but what if he gave me the ability you know like he he said here's the designs for this thing and i could put it together
1: it would almost be like if there was a member of the family who's really really smart hmm yeah really really smart really really
0: smart Possibly I wonder even smarter than Reed. Huh. If only, if one, only one, one of characters those characters. Only one of those characters exist. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to leave that at that. Uh, but reminder, you guys can use the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Tweet them to us. Uh, what your power would be if you were the fifth member of the Fantastic Five. Tweet to Twim.
1: Tweet to Twim.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Dan, yeah. thank you so much for spending so much time with us on this day. And uh oh, r- Ryan, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you, my special twin friend. Thank you for being you. <laughs> I'm, I'm in your ear. I'm in your ear. This is Marvel. This is Marvel, your universe. This week and